I remember years ago, many years ago, going for a walk with Trevor Shotter in kind of Bolster Moor. Sometimes many years, many years since we've done that uh, together. Um, in fact, many years since I've done a long walk, actually. But um, we went for a long walk together, and, and Trevor, being the way that he is, he had a map. You know, he was really organized, and he had a map. And I remember at one point him saying, um, we kind of got a little bit lost, weren't quite sure where to go next. So he's looking at the map. And I remember, you may not remember this, Trevor, because um, he said, now, we've just come along here. We just, and he just pointed out to the way that we've come and put out where that is on the map. And I'm thinking, I didn't say this, but I'm thinking inside, yeah, I know where we've just been, Trev. You know, I mean, I can see that. I know, I've just done it. But I want to know where I'm going. But Trevor, because he's so much wiser than I am, realized that if you're going to know where you're going, you need to be able to look back sometimes and see where you've come from, see what, where you've been, okay? And so because of Trevor did that, we, got, we found our way and made progress. Thank you, Trevor. So I'm going to just quickly do that for five minutes. I want to just look back over what God has been saying to us over the last few months. And you'll remember around autumn time, um, uh, Nathan brought this really powerful word, this very compelling word about the Jonah journey. That in order to move forward, we have to go down. In order to progress on the journey, actually God's going to take us down into the depths. And sometimes those depths, like Jonah thrown into the sea, feels like the it actually said in his translation, I think, the belly of hell. Okay, it, like, it, it can feel painful at times. And we looked at this whole issue of, of death, but from death comes resurrection. And the important thing is, I'm so glad that, that Susanna read that psalm. That the, the, the great thing is, is even when we make our bed in the depths of the sea, you are there. We actually find that even in those tough times when we're going down, he is there with us. And in actual fact, as Nathan reminded us, it's there that we get to experience some of the depths of his love in those places. Because you know there's many different dimensions to God's love, the height and the depth and the uh, breadth. Yeah. And so in, sometimes in the Jonah journey, when we go down, in order to go forward, we experience the depths of his love. And then we looked at what that might mean when we're learning, not just, so it's not just about ourselves, but when we're relating together. Where we are a family together. And it means going on the journey with one another. And you remember Dan and Ruth put this, this, this great word about the time when they were, they were in pain. But to have people who could sit with them in the pain and not try to fix them. Certainly not judge them. Not try to counsel them. Not give any platitudes about it's all going to be well. But just sit with them and be present with them on their journey. Learning both to grieve when people grieve and rejoice when people rejoice. It's, it's absolutely fundamental to experiencing a depth of relationship. And even when, as again, David reminds us, even when we clash, even when there's conflict, even when there's disagreement, being able to sit with one another. And you remember we looked at the word compassion, which literally means to suffer with. And to sit with somebody in the pain and in the suffering is a key to relationship. As we're moving into this new year, I believe God is going to be showing us the importance of that Jonah journey, if you like, that compassion, that being present with people on a journey, um, not just in terms of our family, but in terms of mission to others outside of the family. We must never forget, of course, the missional power. When I say the missional power in terms of people on a mission are those who are sent. They've been sent 
by God with a mission to do something, to accomplish something, to, to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to transform the world. We've been sent, we're on a mission. But we must never underestimate the missional power of how we get along together as a family. This is, it's, 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 it's as we love one another that people will know that we are his disciples. It's as we are one that people will see Jesus in us. So we're not forgetting family. We're not, oh, we've done that, moving on. But we are looking at what are the missional impact of the understanding of this Jonah journey, the understanding of being present with people on the journey. And, and a couple of weeks ago, um, Nathan drew our attention to the fact that prayer is primary to this mission. One of our first prayers was we say, first, oh, Father, hallowed be your name. We worship him like we've been doing this morning. But then we say, Father, let your kingdom come. Our mission is to see his kingdom come and to transform our world. And it begins with prayer. Passionate, uh, what was it, audacious prayer. Long-suffering prayer. Again, compassion is key to it. Suffering with. Uh, the prayer with one voice. Now, can I just say, he, he encourages us to persevere in prayer. Can I just say this? It's, it's, it's easier to persevere in prayer when you're pregnant with the thing that you're praying for. When you so long to see his kingdom come. And let's, not take, let's take it out of the abstract and put it. When you, when, when, you, when you see a world where there's injustice and you long to see justice. When you see a world where there's sickness and you long to see health. It's like you're pregnant with it. Paul in Romans 8 compares prayer to pregnancy. Groaning, like the creation is groaning. We're groaning with, with groans that words cannot express. Prayer is like pregnancy. You're pregnant to see his kingdom come. How can you not be, you know? You look at what's happening, you know, I mean, just, it's not about um, just all the, the bad things that people do. It's the bad things that happen to people. Just within the space, that I'm, not, I'm sure I'm not the only one, at the space of less than two weeks or maybe ten days, four young people have been killed or died in, uh, in Huddersfield and around Huddersfield. One of whom my daughter Abigail knew, one of whom my daughter Anna knew. I'd met one of them, talked with him, good Christian Catholic guy who died of cancer just last weekend. Um, one who committed suicide because of debt. I think, God, let your kingdom come. We want to see a world transformed where people are free from the things that oppress them. That's prayer. It, 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 it's, it's easier to persevere in prayer when you're pregnant with the thing that you're praying for. So prayer is primary in, letting, in, in advancing his kingdom. And then last week, Sarah reminded us that this mission that we're on is a, is a mission of mercy. And she emphasized the importance of um, understanding the mercy of God. Interestingly, just turn with me to the book of Jonah, if you can find it, please. Um, it's in the Bible somewhere. Uh, I've just lost it myself, actually. It's, got, it's fallen out of my Bible. Um, whilst, whilst you're looking and whilst I'm looking, um, I was really intrigued and blessed um, when... That's after Obadiah. Uh, now I've got to find Obadiah. Um, I was really blessed when, when um, Nathan started talking about Jonah and the Jonah journey. 
because Jonah was the book of the Bible. When I was at my lowest of the low about a few years ago, Jonah was the story that God really ministered to me through. And so I was really interested to hear what he had to share about that. And of course, he focused on the Jonah journey being about the going down into the sea and coming back up again, which when Jesus said to the Pharisees, the only sign you're going to be given is the sign of Jonah, that's what he was talking about. You're going to experience death and resurrection. Some things that you're holding on to have got to die in order for a whole life in a new dimension to come. And you've got to learn the principle of taking up your cross, of dying in order to live. But actually, when you look at the whole story of Jonah, interestingly, given what Sarah was talking about mercy uh, yes, uh, last week, Jonah actually is a guy who struggles with God's mercy. I was going to give you a little introduction, a little video introduction to the Bible Project one was too long, so I was going to try and find a little one about introducing you to Jonah. But you know what? They all get it wrong. They all say this. They all say, oh yeah, Jonah was the guy who was, who, who, um, was used to preaching good messages, and then God gave him a bad message to preach that was going to be really hard, and so he ran away. That's not true. You look at it. Jonah ran away, we find out at the end of the book, because he didn't want God to forgive the Ninevites. He sent, God sent him to the Ninevites, and, and Jonah knew, well, I'm going to preach them, and then they're going to repent, and you're going to have mercy on them, you're forgiven. And he really, really struggled with that. God, he wanted God to punish the Ninevites. This was a guy who's running away from God because he struggles with God's mercy. He'd rather die than see God forgive his enemies. And so we are sent, I believe, on a mission of mercy. And yet here is a prophet who struggles with mercy. I want us to learn something from him. You remember, just for the quick recap, not everybody might remember it, but he tries to run away from God. Gets on a ship. Of course, God sends a storm. They realize it's because Jonah's running away from God, so they throw him over the sea, and then he, is, he doesn't really repent, actually. But he says to God, okay, I'll do it. And so God has the whale vomit him up onto the beach. And so then he goes to Nineveh, preaches a short message, which is basically, you're all going to be destroyed. And then apparently in the, in the Hebrew, it's just five words. That's all it is. You're going to be a short message. You're not going to get one of those from me this morning, okay? I'm just saying. Um, short message. It walks away. Um, sure enough, God forgives them. He's sulking under a tree, saying, basically, I want to die. God, God provides this tree, this vine for him. So at least I'll get him some shade from the heat. And then God sends a worm to eat the tree. So now he's still back in the heat again, and he's all moaning about the worm, why you destroyed the tree. And then God says, well, aren't people more important than trees? You don't want me to forgive the Ninevites, or you're all worried about the tree? And the story ends there. Why? Because God is testing us. So are there any times when, you may not be quite as bad as Jonah, but when you've judged who deserves God's punishment? Who, who is unrighteous and you've really got a problem with them being blessed? Especially if you're struggling? No, you wouldn't think like that at all. Any of you, of course, because you're all so spiritual, I know. Is this, is, do I need this? Okay. Oh, should I take this off? Thanks, Matt. Um, you wouldn't do all that because you're unspiritual. But I, you're, sorry, you're very spiritual, I mean, not unspiritual. You're so spiritual, you wouldn't think like that. But do you know what, folks? 
This whole way of thinking of us and them is absolutely fundamental to humanity. We all think like this, and it's hard to break out of it. It's, there's us, and we draw a line. There's us, and we're all the goodies. And there's them on the other side of the line, and they're the baddies. And we judge them. We're, it's called tribalism. And it's one of the fundamental problems to our world, one of the fundamental sins in our world. Now, you may not think you're particularly guilty of that, but just I believe judging others comes very, very easy. It comes as easy as breathing to us, to be honest with you. And it's easy to be a Pharisee. Just remember, it's easy that to fall into being a Pharisee. And even around, this is what I wanted to, I want to, I want to go after the whole us and them mentality. I've got a great book out on my shelf. Well, it's not on my shelf. It's on my Kindle. I've got a great book all about this. And the last chapter, he says, the last chapter is called Us and Them. And it's the only book I've got, which is only one line in this chapter. And it says, there is no them. There's only us. That's the whole chapter. I want to encourage you to think that way this morning, to get to really think about it. Because here's the thing. Even when we don't want to judge, we can still think in terms of us and them. Even as Christians... Sent into the world to see people saved, we can still think mistakenly in terms of us and them. We're the saved us who are all sorted, and they're the the unsaved them who need rescuing. And if we're not careful, even though there's a good intention there, we get into us and them thinking. So I want to I just, I think God is going after that. I think God is getting us to think in terms of us. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I understand clearly there's a difference between somebody who's committed their life to follow Christ, been baptized, born again. There is a difference. I'm not saying there isn't. But if we're not careful, we can end up seeing people, them out there, as projects. Instead of, as Dave prayed earlier, they're all, everybody, we're just all part of one world. God's, God is the God of the whole world. He reigns over all. And he's concerned for all. Let me help you to think about this by giving you an illustration. It's an illustration that comes originally from C.S. Lewis. He's talking about the whole thing about the, the church in the world. Because often we get into the mentality of we're the church and we've got to keep ourselves from being contaminated by the world. He says it's like a boat in the sea. The boat is there to rescue people. Now, if the sea gets in the boat, that's a problem. The boat's going to sink. But we've got to pull people out of the sea. The sea represents the world's system, the world's value, the ways of this world. We don't want to think in the ways of this world. That's the sea getting into the boat. But we do have to get people who are in the sea into the boat. And if we're thinking more in terms of like a little, we've got a little castle here and it's whether you get in or out, whether you're, you've become one of us now, not one of them, or whether we think of actually we have mercy on those who are in the sea because we were once in the sea. Yeah? And all, all we're doing, we're on a rescue mission and God is concerned for all of us. Do you understand what I'm saying? The thing is some people may be swimming in the sea quite happily, swimming away from the boat, they're quite happy in the sea. Can't do anything about that. Other people are swimming towards the boat. They may not be in the boat yet, but they're swimming towards it. And some people here, we've got to be careful, some people are swimming towards the boat, but they're thinking, they look at the people in the boat, and the way they behave, or their attitudes towards them who are out of the boat, 
you're non-Christians. You're the wicked. You're the unbeliever. And they think, you know what? I'm better off in the sea. I'll stay in the sea. Now, they're not. But our attitudes and our behavior can cause people to think that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I want to go after the lemonos, and I want us to learn... You're going to have to read the story of Jonah on your own, by the way. I haven't got time to read it all now. So read it on your own at some point and think about these things. I guess what lessons can we learn from this guy who was still in this us and them mentality, judging the other rather than seeking to include the other? Even thinking about rescuing can be a bit of a problem because we can think of we're in a position of power and we're rescuing people. What about we're all included because God is after us all? Yeah? Okay, so here's the first thing. Here's the first thing we learn from Jonah. Because you think, Let me just state it first, and we'll put it up on the board. Address the mess inside of you, or you're always going to have a struggle having mercy on others. So address the mess so that you can show mercy. Address the mess, or you're always going to struggle having mercy on others. You think, what is wrong with this guy? What is wrong with Jonah? He's like... No, I'm, God, you, you want me to go and preach to the Ninevites? I'm not going to do it. I'm going to run away because I can't bear the idea that you are going to forgive somebody, these wicked Ninevites. I can't bear the idea. I'm going to run away. And he actually says he runs away from the presence of the Lord. And you're thinking, haven't you read Psalm 139 that Susanna just read out to us? Haven't you read it? Because it says, there, even if I make my bed in the depths of the sea, you are there. Even if I go to the far side of the ocean, you are there. He's supposed to be a prophet. And he's running, he thinks, from the presence of God. What is wrong with this guy? He's got issues. By the way, the Bible project, which I told you about, their overview, he talk, they talk about Jonah being a mean and nasty prophet. I don't think he's a mean and nasty prophet. I just think he's a messed up prophet. Same as all of us. That went down well. You just messed up and broken like the rest of us. It's true, isn't it? Just differing degrees. And if he's going to be in a place where he's not wanting the other judged and destroyed, he's going to have to let God work on the stuff that's going on inside of him. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about get everything sorted before God can use you. I mean, this is, the story here is God's trying to use him. He's in a total mess. And God still wants to use him. So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you've got to get yourself all sorted. In fact, actually, I've said earlier that this story of Jonah really, God used it to minister to me when I was at the lowest of the low. It was at a point where and I thought God was punishing me. I thought everything was, everything was falling apart. And um, I, I was working in a school at the time. And if I'm honest with you, I was not a good witness at times. I wasn't. And yet... And yet, I had some of the best, most honest conversations with people and formed connections with them from that place of pain and mess. And I've, Now, that's not an excuse to stay in that place. But don't pretend you're not in that place when you are in that place. Be real. People are looking for authenticity for people who are real. And I, I've formed connections that I still have now with people who are not of faith and, or, or didn't quite know where they are, were in faith in that time. So I'm not saying you've got to be all sorted out. I am saying, though, 
And I'm going to be even more vulnerable here and expose myself a little bit. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean it like that. Um, I'm sorry. Um, that was not a good choice of words. But I'm going to be vulnerable before you. Uh, and um, um, I'm going to be vulnerable before you and say, look, yeah, this is an ongoing thing. This is not about getting sorted out once and for all. This is an ongoing thing. So just recently, and this is what I'm talking about, about work on yourself, work on the inside of you. Just recently, in the last two weeks, I've had two emails, separate occasions, two emails, which when I got the emails, I just, something happened. I just got very fearful. I found myself reacting. I was anxious. I was thinking this and I was thinking that. And I thought, and I had to, well, in one case, I, I, I managed to do it. I had to step back and say, what is going on inside of me? Why am I thinking like that? There would have been a time when I would react and then act out of that reaction and make a mess and do damage. I'm learning too slowly to say, hang on, what's going on inside of me when I find myself reacting like that? It's, I'm talking about doing that when we all have to do it all of the time. Address the mess, face the shadow. The emotions, my friends, are the language of the soul. What are they saying to you? What's your soul saying to you? Be prepared to, in an ongoing lifestyle way, face your shadow, address the mess inside of you so you can have mercy. The Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't love your neighbor until you're loving yourself. And that doesn't mean all narcissism, aren't I wonderful? That means knowing that God loves you so much, you're able to face your shadow. You're able to face the stuff that's going on inside of you because you know that you're loved. And you deal with it. And you're honest with God about it. It's going to be difficult to go on this mercy mission effectively if we're not addressing the mess that's going on inside of us. And we're a, we have a radical self-awareness. And we, do, we engage in what has been called by one writer um, beneath the surface discipleship. Discipleship is not just read your Bible, pray, go to church, pay your tithe. Discipleship is allowing to God to get right into the depths of you. Address the mess inside of you. So you can have mercy. Here's the second thing. And I, and I want to move on this one quickly. Because the third thing is what I want to just leave you with. First of all, it's as we reach out to individual people. We're not reaching the masses. We're not just reaching the town. We're talking about touching the lives of individual people. And when we do that, always think in terms of mercy over judgment. Compassion over punishment. You see... I thought, and probably Jonah thought, you know, when God sends a storm, it's like he's punishing. God is not punishing Jonah, he's pursuing him. There's a difference. He's not punishing him, he's pursuing him. He wants him to face up to the stuff inside of himself so that he can be effective as the sent one, as the one on a mission. He's not punishing him, he's pursuing him. Jonah realizes, and he says it at the end of the book, read it for yourself. He says, the reason I, did, I didn't want to go preach this is I know you are a God of mercy and you would forgive them. He says, I know that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. He knew this, he just couldn't deal with it. He knows that he was, he, he was a God of mercy. You know what? Some people, some Christians, are more concerned about calling out sin in others and in society, we must call it sin. Why must you? They're more concerned in calling out sin than they are in following the Jesus they say they follow, who was a friend of sinners. 
In other words, he walked with sinners. He wasn't concerned about, well, this is sin, that's sin. You can't separate the whole idea of sin as an abstract. You have to walk with individual people and in, as they follow Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to convict them and walk with them in that journey and be present to them and love them in that journey. It's not about calling out. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Can I just say this? Most people know that they are sinners. I mean, they may not use that word these days, but they know that they're broken, messed up. They live in a messed up world. They know that they're guilty. Most people know that. They don't need to know that they're sinners. They need to know the mercy of God that he does not count their sins against against them. That's the good news that we've been given to preach. And even those who don't realize that they're sinners, guess what? The Bible says this, the Holy Spirit has been sent into the world to convict people of sin. It's his job. Not yours. Some people say, oh, I want that job. Yeah. I'd like that job, please. I, I, Holy Spirit, thank you. I'll leave that to me. I feel the call. You know, I, I want to say who's a sinner. Who's bad? That's bad. You're bad. You're on the outside. Yeah. Some people want that ministry. It, it isn't yours. And it isn't mine. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict people of sin. Our job is to go and tell them there's a God who's not counting their sins against them. Some people want to clean their fish before they catch them. Some people want to clean their fish before they catch them. You make people all righteous and holy before you can get in here with us. It's not how it works, folks. By the way, this whole, I struggled for years with this whole idea of us being fishers of men. Because I was thinking in terms of like going line fishing. And you, you kind of bait your hook. And so we have to try and bait people in and then hook them and then pull them in. I always struggle with that. That's not good evangelism. Don't do that, please. Don't do that. That's not good evangelism. When you understand in the, in the New Testament, fishing was like this big net fishing. The whole net. There's a, there's a, there's a wideness. I can't do it because of this. There's a wideness. There's a wideness. There's a wideness. To God's embrace, to his in-gathering. You remember the time when the, he, uh, Jesus did a miracle with a net and they pulled in a whole big net of fish they've been fishing all night and not caught anything then he gets a whole net in do you, know, do you remember what happens straight after that Peter falls down on his knees and he says God go away from me I'm a sinner you know the mercy of God it's the Bible the psalmist says this there is mercy with you therefore you are feared and just like, again, the Bible says the kindness of God leads people to repentance. It's the mercy of God which will bring the fear of the Lord. Not telling people they're dirty, rotten sinners. It's the mercy of God that causes people to fear the Lord. And to fear the Lord is not to be frightened of him. Because we know that the love of God casts out all that kind of fear. But the fear of God is to say, God, this, I'm taking this seriously. I'm not playing religious games here. I'm taking this. You're really dealing with me. It's for real. And that's what happened to Peter when he saw the, the generosity, the wide embrace of God's fishing nets, as it were. There is a wideness to God's mercy, as the old hymn puts it. There is a wideness to God's mercy. Our, our message, my friends, is not a message to tell people they are sinners, but to tell them the good news, that he is a God of mercy and he's not counting their sins against them. By the way, you know, Moses, <laughs> Moses nice Jonah, Jonah goes to the Ninevites, basically preaches this message, reluctantly. Basically, a few more days and you're all going to be destroyed. 
I'm going off to sit on the tree and to pray for God to kill me. I said, I'm going to do that now. Guess what happens? The Bible tells us even the cows in Nineveh repent. That's how good a message it is. Even the cows repent. He didn't want it to get, but the mercy of God gets to them even through this reluctant prophet. Okay. Just let me do this one. This is really heavily on my heart. Lord, give me a grace to communicate this well. I'm probably going to have to revisit it at some time. My third point. Be faithfully present to God in the other, including and especially those where you least expected to find him. A bit of bad grammar there, but never mind. Let me say it again. Be faithfully present to God in the other. Not just to the other, but to God in the other, including and especially those where you least expected to find him. And I meant to read the first chapter, but just, just trust me on this and then read it for yourself later. Did you notice that the pagan sailors were more spiritually responsive than the Hebrew prophet? The Hebrew prophet is asleep in the hull of the ship. While the pagan sailors, when the storm comes, they think there's something about this. God's in this. Now they use their own frame of reference, the gods are punishing us, to start with. That was their starting point because that's all they had. But they realize God is doing something here. Then when they cast lots, again, they're using their frame of reference. They, go, they realize it's Jonah. They go get Jonah. Jonah says, yeah, okay, it's me. And he starts to get all religious. Yes, I, I worship God. Oh, yeah, right. I, yeah, I worship God. Uh, the God of the land and the sea. Well, if he thinks he's the God of the land and the sea, how does he think he can escape them by going over the sea? You know, so he's getting all religious on them, really. But then he realizes, you know, you better throw me overboard. In other words, he's prepared to put his blood on their hands in order to get out of doing what God's told him to do. This is how he's thinking at this point, I'm suggesting. But, um, and even then, the pagan sailors don't want to do that. These are good guys. They don't want to throw the guy and drown him. But eventually they realize they have to, so what do they do? They get down and they worship God, Jonah's God, and they repent for having to do that and say, please don't judge us. There's more spiritual awareness in these pagan sailors than there is in the prophet. And the Ninevites, they have a lousy message from a grumpy prophet. And they still respond to God in repentance. And God has mercy on them. Here's the thing, folks. Those who were certainly not in, they weren't one of the Jews. They weren't one of God's chosen people. Are more responsive than those, the man who was God's chosen. Jesus challenged that whole way of thinking of we're the chosen ones, we're all sorted, all of the time. He said to them, this is when they wanted to throw him off the mountain, remember? He says, if I preached what I was preaching now in Tyre and Sidon, in other words, in some pagan cities, they'd all repent, not like you lot. And he would challenge their thinking like that at times. And, and Paul, of course, no, Peter, he has to be challenged by God because still in the early days of the church, when the church has been born and is growing in power, He's still thinking in terms of Jew and Gentile, and then he has that vision where the, the sheet is let down from heaven with all the different kinds of kosher and non-kosher food. And he says, oh, no, I don't eat this non-kosher food. He says, oh, Lord, I couldn't possibly eat that. And God says, because it's unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I'm calling clean. He challenged his in and out, us and them mentality. It was the first issue, major issue that the early church faced. 
I want to suggest to you that sometimes people who are not yet Christians, people out in the world, are more responsive to God than you realize. In fact, I think sometimes God is hiding in people. You know, the story, of course, the, the parable that Jesus tells about the sheep and the goats. And he says to those on his right hand, those are the, good, the goodies, the, the sheep. He says, um, you know, when, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And they said, Jesus, when do we, I'm sure I would have remembered that. When did, when, did, when did we do that? I can't remember ever doing that. He says, whenever you did it to the least of these, you were actually doing it to me. God was hiding in the least of these. Do you know God hides from you? And actually, he doesn't hide from you. He hides for you. He plays hide and seek. He wants you to seek him. I came across a great, in fact, I, listened to, I heard it on the radio the other day, a quote from Meister Eckhart. He was a 13th century monk or something. And he says this, God is like a person who hides and coughs. Or he's like a person who coughs while he's hiding. In other words, he hides, but he kind of gives you some clues. As well. Have you ever played hide and seek with your kids? And they're getting really frustrated because they can't find you? Oh, where's he gone? Nah, I mean, unless you're a mean dad. <laughs> you're tempted to watch them start crying and stuff. But you, you, you would probably start to give them little clues. <clears throat> Put out your foot or something. In other words, God's like that. He hides, but gives us clues that he's there. I think there are things happening in our world. Oh, man, I hope I've left myself enough time to do this. Let me try to stick to my notes so I don't go off all over the place. When we learn to simply be present to people, we're not there to judge them. We're not there to fix them. We're not, even there, we're not there to convert them. They're not our evangelistic projects. They're just people that we're being present to in love and mercy and genuine, authentic relationship. Letting them be, they may even be railing against God and cursing God. Fine, you're present to them in that moment, not judging. When we learn simply to be present to people, we may find God in them in the ways we did not expect. This word faithful presence, I don't know if you remember, it was used by Billy Kennedy when he came in July. And he talked about that small, he was talking about church, building churches, not just mean growing big churches. And he talked about that small community in Grenfell in London. Do you remember that? And he said they were only a small church, but they were being faithfully present to that community when they needed them. Oh, and God help us. They didn't think, oh, what an amazing evangelistic opportunity. Oh. It's just people in their pain we're going to be present to them. We're going to serve them. We're going to love them. That's what faithful presence is. You'll hear me use those terms quite a lot. But my friends, in the world, there are people who are responding to God, and we can end up judging them if we're not careful. For example, there's a, load of, a whole load of stuff about mindfulness these days, isn't there? Loads of stuff out there about mindfulness. Typical Christian response could be, we don't need mindfulness, we need Jesus. And well, mindfulness... That's just all mumbo-jumbo. That's New Age stuff. I think God's in it. Just saying. I think he's in it. I know, I know Jesus is the answer. I get that. But it's an, people are waking up to something more. They want something more. You see, everybody, everybody 
created, it's everybody, as, as somebody said earlier, we're created in the image of God. Somebody, she wasn't a prime. Shout out, we're created in God's image. Everybody created in God's image. And everybody has a memory of Eden. The garden of Eden. That's what the world was created to be. We live in a wilderness, but it's meant to be a garden. And there are people out there who are wanting to see the wilderness change into a garden. They may not be Christians yet, but every time they're longing for Eden, every time they're longing for the garden, they're pursuing the same thing that we are. And what those people need is not people to judge them. They need prophets to interpret what they're dreaming about, what they're longing for. No, folks, we need to have prophets who are interpreting dreams like like Nebuchadnezzar, who was one who was out. He wasn't one of us. He was a tyrant. And yet God gave him a prophet to interpret what he was dreaming about. My friends, there's people out in the world, whether it's mindfulness, I believe right now in the creative arts world, God is doing something. And Andy Brooks is not here. Andy, I hope you're listening to this. Andy Brooks, I believe you're an interpreter of dreams in that world of the performing arts and creative arts. In your writing, in your art, you are interpreting dreams because you are valuing what others value when they pursue the value and dignity of every individual, no matter what their race or what their gender And they are valuing that, and God has placed you there as a prophet, as an interpreter of dreams. When I speak on TTE on Wednesday, I'm going to tell you, you know what? Don't think just about prophesying in the church. Think about being out in the world, interpreting people's dreams. Because they are responding to God, and they need prophets who can help them to understand what it is that they're sensing and what it is that they're searching for. People need prophets as interpreters of dreams, but instead they're stuck in the hull of a ship asleep. Or they're having a pity party under a tree. Or they're railing against the Ninevites. And prophets should be out in the world interpreting to people what it is that they're searching for. In two weeks' time, oh, yeah, we've just got time to do this. We're gonna, I'm going to show you a video in a minute. In two weeks' time, we're going to have people coming here on a Sunday morning. We're going to worship together for 20 minutes or so. But then we're going to have people coming here, many of whom are not Christians. They don't know where they are in their faith of God. But they're seeing what we are pursuing in many of our projects to see a better town, to see an end to loneliness and isolation, for example. They're pursuing Eden. And they're happy to partner with us. I want to encourage you, don't be saying, it's them, not us. No, no, no. It's us as a world together. And we, we, we know Jesus. And we, we, of course we want to talk to them about Jesus. Of course we want to tell the gospel to them. But we're going to start just by being present to them and valuing them as people. And be thrilled that they want to be part of what we're doing in seeing our town transformed. I want to encourage you all to be there. But we're going to finish with this. This happens every Christmas. I was um, privileged to help out this Christmas, last Christmas day. But... Um, uh, we have most of the volunteers who help Charlie and her team on Christmas Day aren't Christians. They're just people who want to see a better world. They want to see the lonely blessed and helped. And somebody took a video of it, and we haven't shown it to you yet. I wanted it to be put off till I preach this, this Sunday. Um, I hope it's not too far from Christmas, because it's got a little Christmas tune to it. And it shows pictures of all the faces of the people who were there. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, this is too 
this, is, this isn't showing all that's going on. It's just looking at people. But as I carried on watching it, I thought, God is present in these people. To, to quote something from Les Miserables, to, see, to love another person is to see the face of God. I want to encourage you, as you look at this video now, it just only takes about two minutes. Just see the face of God. See God in these people. Now, some of them you'll recognize. And because God's all over you, Michelle. <laughs> but people you won't recognize. And many of them would be what society might call the least of these. Guess what? God's hiding in those people. So we're going to turn the lights off, if that's okay, and hopefully play the video all as well. And I just want to encourage you to see God in them. And then we'll fellowship together and have coffee.